I like that video for today because it helps us to understand that we have a purpose, that we don't experience Jesus just to exist, that our life in Christ is just not that we might be taken care of for eternity, but that God has a plan and God has a purpose for everything that he does. And the moment that we think that his plan and his purpose stops with us is the moment that we begin to forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. So we're talking from the book of John and talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And for the last few weeks we have looked at the different things of Jesus Christ as the Word of God. Trying to understand what that means is in that Jesus Christ was... God's idea and God's perfect plan before you and I knew we needed it. And we understand that as the story of our salvation, but that is the story of God in the midst of humanity. Is that thousands of years before you and I ever knew we needed a Savior, God already had something in the works and in the plans for that. And so we're looking at John's Gospel as he writes his account of this person, Jesus Christ, and what he has come to accomplish on the earth. In the first week, we talked about how the eternal word was something that came before us and something that will continue well beyond after us. But then there was this one person who came to tell that story. John the Baptist, the one who would be the one to proclaim the coming of the king. And so last week we talked a little bit about how John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets because his ministry shifts from proclaiming that the Messiah is coming to finally proclaiming that the Messiah is here. The Son of God is here. And that is the passage of Scripture that we are going to look at here today. Uh, is John chapter 1 verses 29 through 34. And this is probably the shortest text of Scripture that I have ever uh, given you on a Sunday morning. Usually it's a, a pretty big list of things, but today it's pretty short because in that passage of Scripture is a statement that John the Baptist makes that I think for a lot of us we see it and we think of it in Sunday school terms as those are the things that you're supposed to hear about Jesus That is something that we have heard our entire life about Jesus, so it's nothing new for us. But if we think about the statement that John makes and the context in which John is making it and the purpose by which John speaks these words, for us, it is everything about life. It is everything about our understanding of why we are here. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from the heavens and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so now I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John, as he authors his gospel, he is very quick 
from the very beginning to make sure that we understand that the story of Jesus comes alive with the testimony of another person. Last week we talked about how as believers, as people who subscribe to this belief in Jesus Christ, it is important that we give testimony to the things that we see and the things that we understand about Jesus because that is what makes the Word of God come alive for people. It's easy for us to read the words on a page about a holy God and about a Jesus who has come to save and to redeem and to hear them and go, okay, that makes sense or that's good stuff. Man, that's really worth knowing. But it is when we see that lived out in somebody's life. It is when we hear of the things that Jesus has done in the lives of other people is it made alive in the lives of others that do not yet know him. So in this passage, John's ministry has now gone to the New Testament prophecy that the Messiah, the Word of God, is now among us. And now he will preach a message of repent and believe, for the one of God is here with you. And he calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, that's a statement, as I said, that we're used to hearing about Jesus. It's nothing new for us to hear Jesus referred to as the Lamb. But if we think about what it means to be the Lamb of God, for me, it blows me away because it shows just how intricate God's story is in the midst of us as humanity. You see, this Lamb of God is not just a statement that John makes because it sounds good, because it sounds catchy, because it will teach well. But when he makes this statement, what he does is he ties up God in his spiritual form in the Old Testament working in the lives of his people to the redemption that is coming through Jesus Christ. We first hear about this Lamb of God in the Old Testament in the Passover when God is preparing Israel to run away from the slavery of Egypt. He orders them to sacrifice a lamb and to share in it in a meal with their family but then to use its blood and to spread on its doorposts of its house so that when death, when God's judgment comes through Israel, it will pass over those who have been marked as God's people. This is when the sacrificial system of atonement begins in the life of Israel. That there is a lamb who will take away their sins through its sacrifice and the giving of its life and therefore will atone them to God. But we know throughout Israel's history that A, it didn't solve all their problems because we see time and time again where Israel messed up over and over and over and over again. But we realize that what it was meant to do, it was meant to substitute the payment that they owed as a penalty of their sin. And that for the people of Israel, it was to serve as a reminder that they were in the presence of a holy God. And that because of their sin, death had been waiting for them. But yet with the sacrifice and the price that was paid by this lamb, God would see them. God would remember their sins no more. And God would hear their pleas. So for Israel, this lamb would serve as a reminder that God was holy, that God was above all things, yet God was still in their midst. And they could come into God's presence because of this lamb. This Lamb of God also could refer to Revelations when John would write about this Lamb of God who would serve 
as the atonement for people and in the presence of God in the holy kingdom, in the holy throne room, would serve as the propitiation, the payment, the appeasement for the way that we had transgressed God's holiness and God's goodness. But then John does something else when he talks about God's wrath. He says, because of this lamb, God's people will be redeemed. And they will be led to springs of water filled with eternal life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. You know, as humans, it's easy for us to hang on to that fact about God's wrath, about God will judge the things that are not of Him, and God will set straight all the people and all the sins that have transgressed Him. That's easy for us to hold on to. And we will grasp that. And we will make sure people hear that because our God is the one true God and we want people to realize that we serve the real God. But for you and for me and for anybody else that reads this passage of Scripture, the words that you and I should rejoice in is that God will wipe away every tear from their eye. How many times have you done something that was a horrible decision and you look back on it and you're like, man, that is such a boneheaded move. You see, in reality, that's where we are in relationship to Jesus Christ. Is that even though he took our place on the cross and he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves, he is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace. And the sacrifice that he made for us, this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came to atone for our sins, is full of that mercy and is full of that grace. So whereas when Israel would sacrifice a lamb, it would last for a period, it would last for a season, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is eternal. It was the best possible sacrifice that could be given for us because God provided everything that was necessary to quench what death was looking for. And we know that because of Jesus Christ that all people are savable. The Bible never says that Jesus came only to save a few. It says that few will believe. That few will receive him. But Jesus Christ came for all. And the fact that not very many people would receive it for you and I should scare us. It scares me to think about somebody who would not want to hear the message of Jesus. But then I look back at myself in my own life and I think of areas of my life that I know that God is demanding control over. I know that God is demanding power over. And my statement may be to myself, well, God, I don't know if I'm there yet. Well, God, I'm not quite convinced that this is something that you want. Or maybe even it's God, I don't know if I'm ready to give this up yet. You see, that is the power of sin in us. When Satan chooses to come after us, in the places where our flesh is weak, those are not things that happen just by circumstance. That is, those are things that have been spotted by the enemy. Those are things that sin knows that it can root in and can destroy and can pull us away from Jesus Christ. But in the person of Jesus, what we see is that even though we are fragile when we are fail, that God is bigger. And that through the person of Jesus Christ, He reveals something 
that we could not see on our own. So we look back at John the Baptist, this one who is the witness of this coming Messiah, and we see that through his spirit, as John would say, that God revealed to him who Jesus was. And he told him, the one that whom the dove settles on is the one whom my spirit will rest on. And John testifies to this. He said, this is how I knew that this was the Messiah who was to come. Now, the cool thing about John the Baptist, you've got to think about this. He's known Jesus his entire life. That was his first cousin. I'm sure they had some family reunions. I'm sure they probably got into little tussles when they were growing up. I don't know if Jesus got into tussles. He was a pretty good kid, I hear. But he knew. He knew who Jesus was, but yet he did not discover him as the Messiah until God gave him the ability to discern that. And so that made me wonder as I was thinking about that. Does God still give us signs today of his presence, of his purpose in our lives, of his calling on the direction of where we are to go and to spend our times? Does God give us signs to understand what he is doing? How do we know? How do we know the way that God reaches out to us? You see, that's what I say when I say that this message of Jesus, this calling of Christ, is not something that Jesus came to establish and then to be done. It is not a one-time thing in which we make a profession of faith and then everything is hunky-dory and life can bebop as it was and Jesus takes care of the rest. No, the reality of it is, is once we make that profession of faith, we are just beginning the process of redemption by which Jesus Christ reveals to us the things in our lives that have been causing death. The things about our character that are not of the character of the one who created us and spoke us into existence for a purpose. And so as we dig into God's word as we live into community like we have here each Sunday morning and Wednesday nights and whenever we have Bible studies and we gather to talk about the name of Jesus, that is when God reveals to us more about who He is. That is when we discover more about who Jesus is. But if we are settled on just being a Christian, being able to say when somebody asks us, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and no longer picking up our Bible, or no longer interested in learning about God's Word, or no longer concerned about being held accountable when our pride keeps us from admitting that there are things in our lives that are not what God wants, and we need to let go of them. John began his gospel in describing the person of Jesus Christ and the glory and the power of Jesus Christ through the testimony of somebody that wasn't himself. But yet through John the Baptist, the person who we know absolutely nothing about his life beyond the fact that he would proclaim the coming of Jesus. We know nothing else about this guy. We don't know anything about the job that he did. I refuse to believe that he just wore camel hair and walked around with a leather belt all day. He would starve to death. Even if there were locusts and honey, I mean, at some point, dude's going to want a ribeye steak. They don't make those for free. At some point, he's going to have to change out his camel pelt for a new camel pelt. 
they don't make those for free. We don't know anything about his job, his career, his vocation. We don't know anything about his political leanings. Was he conservative? Was he a liberal? Was he a libertarian? Was he... We don't know. What we do know, though, is that 2,000 years after he lived, we sit in Sunday schools and we sit in Sunday morning services and we have conversations with other believers about this person, John the Baptist, who next to the Apostle Paul is probably one of the most prolific people in our scriptures. And the only thing that we know about this man is that he fulfilled the prophecy that would be somebody coming from the wilderness saying, make straight the paths in the desert for the coming of the Lord. 2,000 years later, the only thing we know about this man is his legacy of how he lived his life because of Jesus Christ. That is the perfect example of somebody whose life has experienced Jesus in such a way that it totally redefines and shapes their understanding of what their goal is. His entire life was about declaring God's goodness, declaring God's glory, even so to the point that he gave his head for it, that he was willing to give everything he had to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So why? Why did he do this? Beyond a Sunday school answer, well, he's John the Baptist. That's what John the Baptist does. What would cause somebody to do this? What did he experience about Jesus, about the presence and the coming of God that would drive him to such a degree that the only thing that would be remembered about his life is the thing that began the redemption of God's most perfect creation. When I think about John the Baptist, he blows me away. Not because of what he did, but because he, what of what he must have understood about Jesus to be able to do that. You see, that is the person that each one of us should strive to be. That when our days on this earth are finished, and when people are talking about us in the sweet by and by, the only thing we want them to know is that we were somebody who declared that Jesus Christ had come. That the Messiah and the Deliverer and the Redeemer of all people had come. So John begins his gospel and he asks us a question without even asking us. If you're not a believer then he tells you the reason why you should believe. If you proclaim to be a believer, then he asks you, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus beyond a cultural expectation of being in the Bible Belt in Arkansas where you started going to church before you were born? Where if you were like me, you were on drugs as your mother drug you to church every single Sunday and every single Wednesday. I was going to use Aubrey as an example there, but I'm going to be nice to her because she's here today. <laughs> you got lucky, sister. But is it, is, our, is it our desire to know Jesus and to make Jesus known? Have we experienced Jesus as the Lamb of God? 
the Lamb of God. It is such an easy statement, but it has such big things. Do we proclaim Jesus with our lives? Do our churches testify and justify the things that we do of making much of Jesus Christ? You see, the thing that made John the Baptist so significant and so special was not that he proclaimed that Jesus the Messiah was coming, but he lived his life in such a way that gave proof to that. We're talking about John the Baptist not because of something that he said, but it was because of the way that he lived. It was because of the testimony and the witness that he lived and that he gave that we remember his name. Because he made much of Jesus Christ and he proclaimed Christ. And for you and I as believers gathered here in this place, we have to understand something. That if there is anything in our life that we do that is not sold out and for the same purpose of what Jesus is doing. If we gather here in this building at any time for any other purpose than to make much of Jesus Christ. And to give witness and testimony about about what Jesus Christ has done as the Lamb of God. Then we are wasting our time. Then we might think we are doing good things. That we might think we are being successful in being the church. But if our number one purpose and our number one goal. In everything that we do and everything that we hold dear. Is not about proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Then we are wasting our time. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Messiah. John the Baptist knew the things that he thought would not lead people to heaven. John the Baptist knew the only thing that mattered was the person of Jesus Christ. And he would proclaim him as the Lamb of God who would be the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And his life would tell us that this person of Jesus must be the foundation of if we, are to be claimed, if we are to claim that we are born again and that we have become new people. Theologian, last name Tenney, would say this, that in this one word, lamb, we find the person of Jesus Christ and we see the innocence of God completely without guilt, holy in every aspect, We see the voluntary sacrifice of somebody who, having no guilt, was not due the penalty of sin. But yet he still gave of himself for your sake and for my sake. We see substitutionary atonement where he took what we deserved. If you don't understand what that means, then you don't understand the person of Jesus Christ. It goes far beyond a list of rules and do's and don'ts. But it goes to a redeeming of something that was sentenced to death. And we see the example of effective obedience. The night which Jesus was arrested, he was praying in the garden and he said, Father, if you would let this cup pass from me. He knew what was awaiting him. Even though he was fully God, he was still fully human. And he knew that torture would hurt. He had seen somebody beaten. He had seen somebody crucified. And he knew what was waiting for him. 
But yet even in his fear, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Are we obedient to Jesus Christ to the same degree that we would say, God, this is going to hurt. God, this is going to cost me something. But because of who you are and because of how good you are, not my will, but your will be done. So he trusted in God's plan, even though it cost him everything. And then we see something that nobody else in all of creation and no other religion and no other way of thinking has ever been able to accomplish. We see a redemptive power where the wrath of God and the death that transgression and sin brings would pass over anyone who would be marked with the blood of this sacrifice. Do you understand as you sit here this morning that you transgressed a holy God that in whose presence you should perish, that I should perish, that anyone who's ever walked the face of this earth would immediately be turned to nothing because of his power and his grace and his goodness and his glory. But yet through this Lamb of God, the person of Jesus Christ, you have been marked with his blood. You have been born again to a new life where God does not see you according to your sin, but he sees you according to the blood of the sacrifice. And that is something that commands, that deserves everything about our lives and who we are. So as we read John's gospel, as we begin, we have to ask ourselves, are our lives an adequate witness of having experienced Jesus in this way? And I'll be the first to tell you, absolutely not. Because when I read these words, the first thing I think of is all the things that I did yesterday that God did not want me to do. All the times in my head I thought, well, if I could just get to that person before anybody saw it, what I could... Have we experienced Jesus in such a way that our lives give an adequate testimony of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on our behalf? Prophet Isaiah would write these words. He would say that this coming lamb would be the one who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins, and the punishment that we rightly deserved would be cast upon him. And this would be the only reason that we would be able to experience redemption, and it was by his wounds that each one of us would be healed. So our desire should be this. Our heart should be this, that each day when we wake up, we have one goal. We have one purpose. That is to experience Jesus Christ. To understand that even though there's a list of things that we must do that day and we have responsibilities, they are nothing compared to our call to know Jesus Christ at whatever cost it is. If our job is getting in the way, then get rid of our job. If our lifestyle is hindering us from Jesus Christ, then change your lifestyle. If friends are keeping you from knowing Christ, then get away from those people. There's a reason that Jesus said, if your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if your left eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's saying it is better to live with half of your body than to settle for something that is less than Jesus Christ. 
So have we experienced Jesus in such a way that we realize that he bore our sins? So if you're here today and you claim Jesus Christ is your Savior, understand that you can have no other focus in life. Your number one care should be Jesus Christ. And your business dealings, yeah, you're trying to make a dollar, but that is the platform that God gave you to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And your family, yeah, they're stressful. Kids are a pain in the tail sometimes. But God gave you the glory of his son Jesus Christ to be able to proclaim Jesus. If Christ is our motivation, if all that we do is defined by the person of Jesus Christ, then this is what it means to gain eternal life. It's not just praying a prayer and checking it off our bucket list. But it is understanding that through Jesus Christ, we have the ability for life. Worthy is this Lamb of God. The one who was slain for our transgressions. Worthy to receive power, riches, wisdom, honor, glory, and blessing. The very essence of who we are as people. John would say in his book of Revelation that all things will one day proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And if we claim to be the people of Christ, gathered together for the purpose of Christ, do our lives claim this now? That's my challenge that I have for you this week. As you go to work, as you continue on with the things that you are used to doing, to ask yourself, does your life proclaim the witness of experiencing the Lamb of God who has come to take away your sin and has come to redeem you from what death rightfully had control of. Would you join me as I pray? God, as always, we thank you for your word. God, we know that it is one of the most neglected sources of power in our life. We know that it is one of the most neglected methods of worship that we as your people can have to be able to hear of your declaration and your proclamation through your son Jesus Christ and to raise it as our banner in all things. God, I know that for some of us, our biggest struggle in our walk with you is our life in front of other people. That though we can proclaim a relationship with you when we are by our own or we are in the presence of other people, it is still hard for us to proclaim this in the presence of those that we're not sure about. And God, I know that for each one of us, the hardest place to proclaim you as our Lord and our Master is perhaps within our own hearts. That the thoughts that we hold in our own head and the things that are just between you and us are often the hardest things to hand over control of. But God, as we consider the person of Jesus Christ, as we think about the work that he accomplished on the cross, God, we ask that it would come to us like a hammer. That it would break away the things that are keeping us 
from experiencing Christ as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sin and the atonement for our righteousness. God, give us the ability, give us the desire to experience Christ in such a way that it would no longer just be a statement that we proclaim, but it would be the defining aspect of our lives. That it would be the sacrifice that we realize you have redeemed us. That it is our everything and our only reason for being. Now we thank you for your son, Jesus. May we make much of him with our lives. And may we point people to salvation in him through your goodness and through your mercy. We pray all this in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. As Christians, we have a purpose. It's not just to experience Jesus for ourselves and to continue living with a feeling of justification or righteousness. But it is to make much of the name of Jesus Christ as we declare it through everything that we do, that we say, and that we're involved in. Our job is to continue what John the Baptist began. To proclaim to people in the wilderness and in the darkness that the Messiah has come. That God has taken our place through the person of Jesus Christ and has redeemed us. Don't let your life count for anything less than that. Don't worry about your legacy being about anything less than that. Because that is what we have been called to do.